book of Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah, my namesake. When you find Jeremiah chapter 1, let's stand together. This morning I'm going to preach a message that I went to bed last night not thinking I was going to preach, preaching a different message than I thought. And uh, the good news is I have two points. Two points. This one's hot off the presses. And uh, so we're going to have to stretch those two out to give you your money's worth this morning. But it's a very simple thought we're going to share with you today, but something I'm very burdened about and uh, something I believe or I know that God wants us to preach today. Jeremiah chapter number one, we're going to pick up in verse number four where we see the call of God upon the life of this young man. Jeremiah, in verse number four, the Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. We'll not take a lot of time to point that out, but I want you to notice, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. See, it's more than a fetus. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So here's God calling this young man, this very young man, to preach and to call and to go and to preach revival and repentance to his nation. And here he says in verse number six is his response. Then said I, Ah, Lord God. Notice the exclamation point there. Behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. The Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. Boy, that is my life verse at times. Not because you're ugly, because sometimes you just look scary. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee, to deliver thee, saith the Lord. The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Last verse, verse 10. See, I have set thee, I have this day set thee over nations and over kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for allowing us all just to get here today. And Lord, I know many had many hurdles in order to make it to church. But Lord, what a blessing it is to see so many who, through adversity, Lord, just were committed to be here today. I'm thankful for that. We're thankful for all those that are here, and I, I'm thankful for the hearts that are here and ask you to work in each and every one. Lord, for the lost, I pray for salvation today, and I pray Holy Spirit would make that clear. And for the saved, Father, what a poignant message and what a poignant thought, Lord, this morning of what you're calling us to do. And I pray that you would make it clearer than I can. And that, Lord, you would speak and preach so eloquently and, Lord, so concisely that we'll be able to understand, but then help us receive it, respond to it. And I pray your blessings on the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As Brother Brent mentioned, we had a great fall festival Friday night in spite of the weather. I do appreciate all those that braved the weather and the inches of water around back in order to get into the gymnasium and appreciate all the hard work that went into that and... I just kind of was uh, cruising around the festival. I didn't have a booth or anything. So I just kind of cruised around the festival in street clothes. And uh, it was kind of camouflage, preacher camouflage, street clothes, just jeans and a, and a hoodie or something like that. And uh, I noticed they had a, uh, a face painting table that was there. The LaFone girls had that there. And uh, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to get my face painted. So I sat down there and they asked me what I wanted. And uh, I told them, of course, I was going to get LSU painted on my face. And so I sat there, and uh, they painted. And the sad thing was I never looked to make sure that it was LSU. You know, they could have, they could have been fiendish and put Alabama or something on there. And we did see a few of those running around Friday night. Uh, matter of fact, Brother Jamie's son ran up to me at one point during the festival. And he had a big A on his forehead, and he asked me, what do you think about that? And I said, well, I love America, too. And I just kind of walked off and went on about my business. But um, I'm not going to use the pulpit this morning to uh, give a shameless plug to my athletic team, but I do want to open up with an illustration about that because this is kind of the way the Lord led us in the message. 
As a preacher, as teacher, you know, you're always looking for uh, illustrations that will help you kind of open up the package of the message. And uh, I believe that this year's LSU football team will give you a good illustration of that. Now, don't turn me off, okay, because I'll speak good about some other teams here in just a few moments. But if you've paid attention to the LSU football team this year, there's a drastic change from our, our normal self and a more of a high-powered offense. And it's really gotten a lot of national attention on the football team this year. As a matter of fact, I believe we're the first SEC team to beat three top 10 teams within the first eight games of the season. Now, anytime LSU does well and looks to be having a good team, the question always comes up about the first or second week of November about the team that's looming on the horizon, and that's Alabama. Alabama's always there on our schedule, and we always stump our toe on Alabama, and I can't remember, to be honest with you, the last time that we have beat Alabama, and every time that LSU has won a game this year, the questions always come up, but what about Alabama? November the 9th, uh, the 10th, the 10th, I'm going to have to be spiritual one way or the other on November the 10th. Uh, whether we win or we lose, I'm going to have to be real spiritual that morning, so pray for me. But here's some questions that were asked that I want to lead into the message with, and you'll see the relevance here in just a minute. I believe in September we beat Texas 45 to 38. I believe they were number nine in the country in the time. And a reporter asked Coach O this question. He says, finally, it looks like you have an offense that can compete and confront with Alabama. And here's what he said, something along this line, not a direct quote, but the spirit of what he says. He says, we're going to enjoy this win and prep for the team next week. We're not thinking about Alabama. On throughout the year, we, matter of fact, we went to this game, we played Florida, I, don't, I can't remember what number they were, but they were top 10, and we beat them 42 to 28, and someone asked this question after the game, your defense is playing really well, do you think that you can now contend with Alabama? And Coach O said this, there's a lot of work to do, we're going to focus on the game before us, and we'll worry about Alabama when it's time to worry about Alabama. Well, yesterday we beat another top 10 team. And I am enjoying this just a little bit, okay? It's a new feeling, but uh, we beat Auburn 23 to 20. And uh, one of the reporters asked him after the game, he says, looks like LSU has found their way. He says, all year long I've been asking you. I asked you after Texas. I asked you after Florida. What about Alabama? What about Alabama? And he says, now you've beat Auburn and you look at the schedule and the next team on the schedule is Alabama. There's no way that you can get around it now. You must answer the question. And here's basically what, what Coach O said. He said, it's time that we turn our attention to Tuscaloosa because in two weeks we must take the fight to them. Now, here's what I want you to understand this morning. In spite of all the other legitimate business that LSU had to take care of throughout the year, always on the calendar, there's been this date circled, November the 9th, where LSU was going to have to face their nemesis that they usually get, they usually get beat by, Alabama. And even though they had other games to play, that was always circled there on the calendar. And now in order for LSU, listen close, to keep their playoff hopes alive, they must now get on a bus or a plane and venture over to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and they've got to go and confront the Crimson Tide. Go ahead and say amen, you Crimson Tide people. I give you an opportunity to throw that in there. So here's what LSU is about to have to do. Even though they had other teams they had to play all throughout the year, and some were cupcake teams, but some were tough. There were three top ten teams they had to beat. Even though they had other business that needed to be taken care of, there was always something looming on the horizon. On November the 9th, LSU was going to have to, sooner or later, go and ironically face the elephant in the room. I don't know if you know this, but Alabama's mascot is an elephant. And no matter what LSU does and how good we are and what teams we beat, it always seems around the first or second week of November, there's always this elephant in the room, and it's called Alabama. And no matter how good we're playing and no matter how awesome our offense is and how many points we're scoring on Florida or Auburn or Texas, always in the back of our mind, we know that sooner or later, we have to deal with the elephant in the room. And now in less than two weeks, LSU is going to have to go and deal with the elephant called the Crimson Tide. 
So you say, why did you tell us all of that? You spent several minutes giving us the update on how good LSU's been doing. Well, here's what I want to tell you. Everybody has an Alabama. Every person, every home, every church, every country has an Alabama. You say, what do you mean? Well, we all have things we need to take care of, legitimate needs in our life. We have responsibilities. We have kids. We have things in our home. We have things the church needs to take care of. But I want you to understand this morning that every one of us has elephants in the room that need to be taken care of. Now, what's an elephant? It's simply this, and it's unresolved conflict that will require our confrontation. Unresolved conflicts that are going to require confrontation. You see, it's unavoidable encounters that you have to have in order to keep your hopes alive. Now, can I tell you this morning, I believe the reason the church is suffering, I believe the reason our country is suffering, our homes are suffering, and Christian individuals are suffering, it's because we have elephants in the room that we've yet to deal with. Yes, we have life to deal with, we have children, we have responsibilities, we have things in our churches to deal with, but oftentimes we know in the back of their, our minds there's an elephant that's circled on the calendar, and sooner or later we have to deal with that elephant. I'll be honest with you, I would love to ignore the elephants in the room. I'd love to be a Clemson and not play anybody. I just had to throw that in there. Wouldn't it be nice to be one of these teams who don't ever play anybody? It'd be nice to ignore the tough teams. But listen, if you're ever going to hoist the trophy, if you're ever going to stand as a champion and as the victor, if you're ever going to have victory, you must deal with the elephants that are in the room. I believe this morning the church is dealing with a lot of them. If our homes are dealing with a lot of them, and it's unresolved conflict that requires our confrontation. I believe so often in our lives, in our homes, watch how it grows exponentially, in our churches and in our nation, what's dragging us down is the fact that we have unresolved conflicts that are requiring us to confront them. And until we confront the elephants in the room, we're not going to have any victory or any hope in our life. In the book of Jeremiah, God calls a young man, many believe him to be a teenager. God calls him to go and confront two such elephants, if you will. Now, ironically, these two elephants are the same two that we deal with today. And so this morning, we're going to look at a very simple thought and it's going to piggyback on last week's thought. I didn't intend for it, but this is the way God intended it. This is what God says preach. This is what we're going to preach. But this morning, we're going to look at the thought of dealing with the elephants. Dealing with the elephants. And I believe this morning there's two that God called Jeremiah to deal with, and he's calling us to deal with them as well. So look at verse number four. The Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, so God is speaking to Jeremiah. He's calling him in verse number five. He says, I've called you. I've, I've sanctified you. I've ordained you to go. Now watch what he's called him to, go, to do. He says verse, in verse number, uh, verse number seven, it's for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. Notice thou shalt go. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse number 9, it says, The Lord put, his hand, uh, put forth his hand, touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. And then verse number 10, he begins to show him what he wants him to do. He says, I want you to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Now, the first elephant this morning is really easy to see, but it's a very formidable foe. God saw the wickedness in Judah. God saw a nation that had turned their back upon him, and God says, I want to raise up a young man. I'm going to raise up this prophet, Jeremiah, and I want this Jeremiah, this prophet, to go and to confront the wickedness of these people. Now, notice God's calling him to go and to confront it. God's calling him to go and to speak out to it. As a matter of fact, if you look at chapter 2, verse number 2, the Bible says, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. The first elephant in the room, number one, is the elephant that's around us. The elephant that's around us. Can I tell around us? Can I tell you what God was calling Jeremiah to do? Stick with me this morning. You'll get this, I promise. It's simple. What God was calling Jeremiah to do was to go and to confront the culture of the world that was around him. 
Now, can I tell you something this morning? I am a non-confrontational person, believe it or not, okay? When it comes to the Word of God, I can be bold about preaching the Word of God because it's His words, okay? It's easy to be bold about preaching the, the Word of God and what thus saith the Lord because He backs that up. Now, my words, they don't carry a whole lot of weight. My words don't have a whole lot of backing, and so I'm not much of a confrontational person. I've told you, you put onions on my burger, I'll probably eat them. You know, if you feed me a salad, you know, that doesn't have all the things I, you know, I like salad with a lot of meat on it. Most of you like salads with a lot of vegetables in them. You know, when I go through the line, I get a little bit of salad and a lot of meat and a lot of cheese and a lot of dressing. And it's kind of like a scavenger hunt to find the leaves that are in there, but they're in there. All the same. You feed me something. I'm, like, I'm going to eat it. I learned that as a missionary's grandchild in Mexico. We'd go down to the houses in Mexico, and the food was different. And I remember sitting at one house, and they were serving us a drink called rice water. And uh, it was something that they enjoyed drinking down there. And I remember taking a sip of it, and it just wasn't my, my particular taste. My grandfather loved it. He drank it. Uh, but, boy, it wasn't good. And I looked across the table at Mom and Dad, and there was the eyebrow. That meant drink it. Fast as you can. Just, just turn it up. Sound like apple cider vinegar. Just turn it up and go with it as quick as you can. Get it down. And I did. So I've learned to just go with somebody. I'm not going to go in and holler at somebody because I got my order wrong. I'm not going to holler at somebody because something's just not the way that I, I'm not a confrontational person. But I want you to know this morning, in order for the church to have victory and our homes to have victory, sooner or later, you're going to have to confront the culture that's around us. This is the problem we have in our homes. The culture has made great inroads into the home. Why? Because we have yet to confront it. Now understand this. Look, I'm not a confrontational person. I'm not a mean person. That's why I tell you the other day that they thought I was mean when they first met me, and that kind of breaks my heart. Because I am a nice guy. Ask my wife, or at least ask my daughter. She'll tell you I'm a nice guy. I'm not a confrontational person. I don't like to be mean to folks, but I tell you something, you ought to be willing to confront the things that threaten you this morning. And what's threatening your life in your home, what's going to threaten our church, and what is already threatening our country is the fact that we as the people of God are unwilling to confront the elephant in the room, which is the culture of the world around us. That's our problem. We don't want to confront it. I remember my daughter was one, and they may have told you this story before, but my goodness, what a beautiful picture I saw in the eyes of my six-month-old daughter. There she is. She moved around on me. You and your mom, they do this thing. They just move around. I can't find them anymore. And it's hard to preach at them when they're not where they're supposed to be. But I remember my six-month-old daughter, she's laying there in the changing table of her bedroom. I remember she was crying, and we checked. Her diaper was clean, and she had ate already, and she was just throwing a fit. Looked down in her eyes, and you could just tell she was mad. She wanted me to pick her up. And I watched this little six-month-old, beautiful, angelic princess gift from God, and I looked across her face, and I realized that the Bible was right, that we're born with a sin nature. And even my six-month-old daughter had it. I tried to ignore it. I really did, because I don't like giving whoopings. I didn't whoop my six-month-old daughter. Don't turn me in, okay? <laughs> Statue of limitations has passed anyway. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't whoop her. But I realized when I looked in the eyes of my six-month-old daughter that there was a date circled on the calendar somewhere. That there was an elephant in the room that I was going to have to confront. And oh, it broke my heart because I want her to love me and I want her to like me and I want to be the best dad in the world and I want the best dad in the world coffee mug and the best dad in the world t-shirt and I want her telling all the people about her dad and I just can't hurt her feelings by confronting what's inside of her. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter number 29, verse 15? The Bible says, the rod of reproof giveth wisdom. Listen close. But a child left to himself, the Bible says, bringeth shame. I understood that if I didn't confront the elephant in the room, the elephant in the room was going to confront me. I want you to know we see so many homes, they've become shameful. So many lives have become shameful. Why? Because somebody did not have enough spiritual courage to confront the elephants that are in the room. 
Now, folks, understand, I deal with a lot of parents, a lot of teenagers. I'm thankful for folks who seek out counsel. I think you ought to. Don't suffer in silence like you're not going through anything. Every person in this room is or will be going through something sooner or later, me included. Now, folks, I see families falling apart, coming to shame, young people falling apart because coming to shame. I see our nation coming apart, falling into shame. Why? Because it's been left to itself. Because we have not been willing to confront the elephant in the room. What is it? It's the culture. My daughter was born with a sin nature. She got it from her dad. And that sin nature had to be dealt with with the rod of reproof. I hate to tell you, but it's in there. It's in there. Now, folks, I hate to say it. We put more training in our pets than we do our children. Our dogs sit when we tell them to sit. I was eating at the Grubbs house the other night. They got a scary dog. Kept trying to eat my hamburger, and I was going to let him have it. He walked up to me, and he was wanting to bite of my burger, and I was fixing to let him have it. Brother Grubb, I think his name was Raven, correct? He go, Raven! And that, that dog just put its head down. That's a well-trained dog. I'll guarantee you there's been a few confrontations between Brother Grubb and his dog. You see, dogs just don't get away with things. they got to be confronted, all right? No, it's the same way with our homes. Same way with our children. It's the same way with our churches. It's the same way with our country. The problem is the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is the culture has made too many inroads into every one of them. And we haven't confronted it. Why? Because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Now, folks, I know you're thinking this morning, boy, you just get mad and be mean to folks. I'm not trying to be mean. It's because I love my daughter that I confronted the foul culture. I love her. I don't want to see her come to shame. I don't want to see her life go down the tubes. So because I love that six-month-old, I was willing to confront her culture and let her culture know it wasn't going to win. And I won so far by grace. Amen. Rabbit's foot, whatever it else day. Look, by the grace of God, we can win this thing if we would just love. We sang about the love of God this morning. Can I tell you, you can see the love of God in the fact that he sent his only begotten son to come down and to confront this culture. And he defeated it. And I'm on my way to heaven today. Why? Because Christ was willing to deal with the elephant that was in the room, and it was my sin. Now, folks, let me tell you this morning, things are not going to get any better. Our homes will continue to end in shame. Our children in shame. Our churches. How shameful this morning is the church of the living God in America today? Do you know why? Because it's been left to itself. Preachers anymore don't even have the courage to confront the culture. I'll give you a quick example. Our young men will amen this and vouch for this. I love our kids and I love our school. And I love the opportunity to have a Christian school. What a privilege that is. To have a Christian school and to send our kids to a Christian school. And uh, every once in a while, as a preacher, you'll see things and you know, think that might lead to something later. And so I asked Brother Heath, so Brother Heath, would you mind if I talk to the older boys a little bit today? And so Brother Heath sent them over to my office. And I took a few moments to let them know that I love them and I cared about them. They were all in there and kind of oblivious to what I was talking about. I said, guys, I've seen a few things over the past few days that, um, that I think could be a threat to you. It could be a threat to your school. <clears throat> it could be a threat to your home. And so we began to talk about those things, and it was not the most warm and fuzzy conversation. It definitely wasn't a give-me-a-hug moment. But you know what I felt compelled to do? Confront a culture that I feel was going to threaten them. I'm a nice guy. You asked him. I told the guys this. I'm a nice guy. I will be your friend. We'll go fishing and hunting together. I mean, look, we'll go to ball games together. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand this. I'm a different person when I feel like something that's within my care is threatened. Look, I, I have never karate chopped anybody. I've never punched anybody. I've always wanted to. I think it's because I have a flesh body. I got saved when I was nine. And so you don't get a whole lot of opportunity to, to get into some real good brawls, you know. So I really never got to punch anybody in the face, but I don't know. But if, man, somebody messes with my wife, I don't know what might happen, really. Something come out of me all of a sudden, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, incredible Hulk, mess with my daughter. I told the young men the other day, I said, I feel like carnality is a threat to our church. 
The reason I call them over to the office is because, look, I love them and I care about them. I want to see our, our school grow. I want to see our school turn out young people that are not just Christian in name only. I want to see it turn out some young people who are really Christ-like. So in order to do that, we've got to confront the culture that's threatening them. Now look, these young people will never have victory if we don't care enough about them to confront the culture that's going to threaten them. You do not love them. You don't. If you're not willing to confront the culture that's threatening their very livelihood, you don't love them. And by the way, as a pastor, I don't love you if I'm not willing to confront it either. I'd love to preach about faith and grace and mercy and love all the time where everybody smiles back at me and there's no empty pews. But there's a culture that's threatening the churches in America today. And somebody, listen, somebody's got to answer the call of God and go out, as he said in chapter 2, verse number 2, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Let them know this culture is going to kill you. It's going to kill your home if you don't confront it. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. We know the verse well. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. There is a way, keyword a way. Do you know what a culture is? The definition of the word culture is a way of life. Culture is a way of life. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. You say, you know, if we let the world do what they want, they're going to like us. But the Bible says the end thereof are the ways of death. That culture is going to lead to death. This is why, look, young people, if you've got a mom and dad that loves you enough to confront your culture, you've got to give them a big hug right after church. Big old hug. Give them a kiss on the cheek. If you've got some money saved up under your bed, take them out for a steak because they love you enough to confront what's going to lead to death. That's why the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right. The world, if we just leave the world alone, they're going to like us. Can I tell you, there's a false narrative of that in the church today. That if we just don't correct the world, they're going to like us. Look, if you want to correct the world, you've got to confront it. You've got to be willing to confront it. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go. Notice he says in verse number five, he says, I knew you, I sanctified you, and I've ordained you. Isn't that neat how we get saved, we come to know the Lord, we become sanctified, and then God ordains us and sends us out. Look, if you're saved, you now know the Lord. He says, I want you to be sanctified. That means separated. I know. Separated. And then I've ordained you and sent you out in the world. Why? Because I need you to go confront the world. Because if the world has their way, it's going to end in death. If we let them have their way. Folks, we think that that it's intolerant. We think it's, oh, I just can't be intolerant. Look, I'm going to tell you, you don't love somebody if you don't get in front of them when you know they're about to go off the edge of a cliff. There's a man in my dad's church years ago. What's his name? Roulette, dad. Brother Roulette. Was that his name? Brother Roulette. Interesting name. Amen. And... um, I know you don't know what that is, but that's a gambling term. I know y'all don't know what it is. It's a gambling term. Brother Roulette came to church one day, and his face was all scratched up. I mean, it was, it was, like, it was like scratched and burned. And we asked Brother Roulette what happened, and he says he ran into somebody or something in his car, and the airbag went off. <laughs> I've never seen that happen. I mean, that's what I was thinking. I've never seen that happen. Never happened to me. I've always wanted to have a fake airbag in my car. I'm not joking. That's my wife. We've talked about this many times. I've always wanted to have a fake airbag in my car. When you're sitting in a red light, just turn the valve on and just watch what people do. But I've never, never done that before. It's good, clean fun, I assure you. He said his airbag went off and it kind of messed, messed up his face just a little bit. You know, kind of scratched it and burned it up a little bit. But no broken bones, no broken neck. Boy, I got to think about airbags. Man, they're violent sometimes. Sometimes they might scratch us up a little bit and doesn't feel real good. But do you know what that airbag did when he ran into whoever it was he ran into? It confronted him. It confronted him. Do you know what God's calling the church to be? Airbags. This world's about to smash into a brick wall and it's going to take their life. He says, I want you to get in front of them. Look, I want you to confront them because if you're not there, they're going to hit that steering wheel. They're going to break their neck. They're going to cost their life. Folks, this is what God called Jeremiah to do. is what God called us to do. He's not calling us to hide out. He's calling us to confront the world for their good. What do we tell our kids before we give them a whooping? 
I promise you, I'm doing this because I love you. Oh, my goodness. You ought to ask my wife what my face looks like after I have to give my daughter a spanking. It's been a long time. 2015 was the last time. I keep records because they're dark days in my life. And my daughter, look, I love you. One reason dad's doing this because the Bible says that dad needs to do this in order for you to be trained up in nurture and admonition. That means direction of the Lord. And dad's got to do this. And this is rough. Can I tell you, it's the same way with the world. The reason we preach against sin is because we love them and we don't want them to go where sin goes. The Bible says sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. And so I'm going to confront that sin. Why? Because if they have their way, they're going to end up with death. That's why Matthew 5, the Bible says that he, he calls us the light of the world. Do you know what lights do? They confront darkness. Lights confront darkness. The Bible says neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. No, they put it on top of the bushel so it gives light to all that are in the room. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to be lights in the midst of the darkness. We're supposed to confront the darkness. But for some reason, we put the light under the bushel. I believe we see a good example of this in the life of Paul, Acts chapter 17. I won't turn there. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. The Bible says why Paul, while he tarried there at Athens... He looked out and he saw the city, listen close, wholly given over to idolatry. The Bible says that Paul looked at this city and they were worshiping false gods and false images. So Paul got mad and he went up there and he started just raking them over the coals. No. The Bible says his spirit was stirred in him. Why was his spirit stirred? Because he saw that the way that they were taking was going to end in death. They're worshiping a false god that couldn't save their soul. And so the Bible says Paul's spirit was stirred within him, and he went to the synagogues and disputed with them. You know what he was doing? He was confronting them. Why? Because he didn't want them to stay on the way that they were headed. Real quickly, if you look at chapter 2, you're going to see some of the effects of conforming rather than confronting. Verse 2 says, go cry in the ears of Jerusalem. Saying, thus saith the Lord, I remember thee. Ooh, this is sad right here. God says, I remember who you were. I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth. The love of thine espousals when thou wentest after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Here's what God says, I remember who you used to be. I remember who you used to be. You used to be kind. Notice, when thou wentest after me, you used to follow me. He says, you were kind and you followed after me. But notice he's saying, I remember, that's past. You see, when you don't deal with the elephants in the room, those good things go by the wayside. Verse 3, Israel was holiness. The second word is the word was. That's past tense, not anymore. You see, they hadn't dealt with the elephants in the room, and so now they were no longer holy. Look what's going out the room because they did not confront the culture. Verse 6, neither said they, where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt? They're no longer seeking God. Can I tell you this morning, I watch Christians, and they go from this kind Christian, this gentle, meek-spirited Christian, and all of a sudden they become rough and callous. They quit following after God. They don't seek him, the God that brought them up. You know what it's a sure sign of? A sure sign of an elephant that hasn't been dealt with. It's the culture. I see it a lot in, in, in church, and I'll just put it in a, in a nice way. A preacher's preaching things, and maybe the Lord leads us to say something pointed or specific. You can watch people grimace. Because here's what's happening. It's the peer pressure of the culture. We know that that kind of thinking is not popular. And so all of a sudden, we as Christians have to decide, are we going to accept what thus saith the Lord or give in to the culture? Now, here's the sad thing is. The sad thing is when you look out into churches today, you can see more influence of the culture than the church's influence in the culture. The cultures influence us way more. We're, listen, the world's not becoming more like us. We're becoming more like it. You can see it in our homes, in our churches. We are conforming to the culture rather than confronting it. I want to show you why before I give you the second elephant. If you look in chapter 5, look in chapter 5, I want to show you. Jeremiah chapter 5, I think I read this verse the other day. Look all the way to the end of the book. Look at verse 31. 
or the chapter, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 5, 31. The prophets prophesy falsely. That means they're cowards to preach the truth. And the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go and confront the culture. There's an elephant that's all around us that we need to deal with, and it's the culture. And here's the problem. God told Jeremiah, my people are in love with it. I believe today the problem we have in our lives, in our homes, in our churches is the problem that we've dealt with ever since the fall of man. We're in love with the culture too much. We're in love with it. We like it. We want to fit in with it. We want to be accepted of it. God says, my people love to have it, so they love it that way. Why? Because we fit in. It's easier to conform than to confront. And who likes being an outcast? He says, my people love to have it so. But you know what the Bible says in James 4? The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That means, look, I don't know what they're singing on these kumbaya shows and preachers, you know, but you can't hold hands with God and the world at the same time. The Bible says that's enmity. We can't do that. The Bible says love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For some reason, the church has got a mindset that if we don't correct the world, that the world will correct itself. How does that work with children? I saw a kid the other day in McDonald's throwing down. I'm talking about if, if I'd have done that in my childhood... My dad would probably be in prison today. I'd have done that. This kid's throwing down. You know what I saw there on the floor of McDonald's that day when that kid was not getting that little, you know, 25-cent toy that he really, really wanted that came in the Happy Meals? I saw a culture that was never confronted. And now they're having a whole lot more grief if they just confronted it to begin with. So number one, the elephant that's around us, we either confront the culture or we will conform to it. The second thing I want you to see is probably the most difficult elephant. If you look at verse number six, God calls him. Verse number six, watch what Jeremiah says. He calls him in verse five, in chapter one, verse number six, he says, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. So we notice that God's calling him as God calls us to go and confront the culture because we love them. But notice the resistance here. Jeremiah says, I can't. Have you ever done that with God? God calls you to do something. He said, God, I just can't. Now, why couldn't he? Well, notice he says, I cannot speak for I am a child. Now, I want you to let this sink in just for a moment. Jeremiah was allowing who he was to keep him from being who he was called to be. Now let this sink in, folks. Who he was. He says, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. I can't go talk to them. I can't do this, for I am a child. Number two, the second elephant is probably the most difficult elephant because before we can deal with the elephant that's around us, we've got to deal with the elephant that's within us. Number two, the elephant that's within us is who we are, and it's what we say. Look at verse 6. Then said I. God said what he wanted to say in verse number 5, but verse number 6, Jeremiah wants to have his say. God, I know what you're saying, and I know what you want me to do, but God, let me weigh in on this. You see, a culture's a way of life, and before we can confront their way of life, we've got to be willing to confront our way of life. You see, God was going to have to change Jeremiah's mind. God was going to have to change the way that he was thinking. You see, the elephant that's within us is the way that we see things. The elephant that's within us that we must deal with is the way that we see things and the way that things are. And so often we cannot go to do what God's called us to go and do is because there are elephants within us we've yet to deal with. And God says, Jeremiah, in verse number seven, you've got to deal with this first. I was out knocking doors yesterday and inviting folks to church and trying to find out if folks are saved. And by the way, nobody shot at me or cussed at me yesterday. I know that's what we think always happened. Didn't happen. Hasn't happened since I've been in Hattiesburg. It will probably happen this week but because now that I've said it. But uh, went well. And it's amazing as I talked to people yesterday, I knocked on their door, talked to them about church and invite them to church and then asked them about heaven. Wanted to do that because I love them. Love them enough not to want them to go to hell. So do you know those people? No, but 
I didn't know God, and he sent his son to die for me, and I'm, I'm going to be willing to go and tell him somebody else about him as well. It's amazing the answers you'll get when you ask people if you died right now, are you sure you go to heaven? No, I don't lead in with that, okay? We kind of set it up a little bit, talk about the weather or something, but as I talk with people, it's interesting to hear the answers people will give for how they think they're going to heaven. I pray every day. I go to church. I live a good life. I give to the poor. All of these things that are there. Can I tell you, that's a fatal way. That way will not work. And so I'm readily excited to be able to share with them Acts chapter 4, verse number 12. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. The Bible says there's none other name. There's only one way. And so I am so excited to be able to share with them the true way. Now watch this. Many times people will not get saved. They say, well, I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. Why? Because they're not willing to confront the elephant in the room, which is their way, to accept God's way. Now understand, God cannot use you as a Christian this morning until you confront your way and surrender it over to his. You cannot be saved until you give up your way and accept his way, which is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, case closed, only one, none other name. Now understand this morning, folks. Until you confront the culture within you, you'll not be able to confront the culture that's around you. That's why this morning the church has become powerless. Because we have elephants in the room. We have elephants in the room. So what do you mean in the room? We have elephants in our heart that have not been dealt with. We have elephants in our homes that have not been dealt with. Jeremiah could not go and confront the elephants of the culture without until he confronted the culture from within. And folks, can I tell you this morning, I believe God is calling on us to circle the date on the calendar, and that day is today, that we deal with the elephants that are keeping us from going and confronting the culture that's dying and going to hell. Now, here's the good news. I don't know what your elephants are. I think every one of us ought to go on a spiritual safari today. I wish... I don't think I have room in my office for an elephant. I just got my fox back and my bobcat, but we're filling it up with dead animals. If you ever want to come see some fine specimens of mediocre uh, hunts, I'll be glad to show them to you. And I'd love to go on an elephant hunt. Can you imagine how long you could eat on an elephant? I ate two years on an elk. I mean, an elephant, we'd probably, we'd probably feed the church for a year. But I think a lot of us need to go on a safari today. There's some elephants, there's some, some things that are untaken care of in our lives, some things that we have yet to deal with, and God tells Jeremiah, you got to deal with that before you can go. As a Christian, we go out and we preach God's way for our life. As a preacher, I go preach, say, hey, this is what God's called us to do and how God's called us to live, but so often, the problem that I have is in order for God to use me to help others, I've got to let God help me first. I let God work in me. What does the song say? It's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister. It's fun to think about our brothers and our sisters aren't, isn't it? No, it's us this morning. I want you to imagine real quickly in Matthew chapter 4. I'm not going to turn there. Just listen close. Imagine Matthew chapter 4, the moment when Jesus called the disciples as they stood by the seashore. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, here's what I picture I can't draw and I can't paint, or I'll get you a picture of it, but I can't. I see them holding their nets as they came up to the shore, and there's their dad. There's the boats that represent their livelihood. There's their nets. That's all that they ever knew. And now Jesus is calling them to leave it, leave it all behind. But you'd imagine that moment as they stood there, realizing I'm going to have to leave behind dad, and I'm going to have to leave behind the job that I know and leave behind my livelihood, can I tell you oftentimes going God's way will come as an inconvenience to yours. Going God's way is going to inconvenience your way. That is why so many of us choose not to go God's way. We just decide to leave the elephant in the room. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration real quick. I, I never knew this until I was preparing for the message this morning. I mean, literally this morning. In southern India, there's a, a, um, there's a festival called Thissur Purim. If I said that wrong, please forgive me. Thissur Purim in southern India. And it opens up with this elephant named Ramu. This elephant by the name of Ramu comes busting through doors to open up the festival. 
In the past several years, as Ramu comes busting through the doors for the festival, he has killed over 14 people. And yet, they still allow Ramu to go home and Google it, okay, just so you know that I'm not lying to you. Go home and Google it, and you'll see that elephant busting through the doors and people being trampled. It seems like to me that they would just get tired of people dying. They would get rid of the elephant. You're like, hey, man, that's a great idea. But folks, how many of our homes have to die? How many children do we have to lose to the world? How many churches do we have to lose to the world? Why are we losing our country this morning? Is because we won't get rid of the elephant. We know what the elephant is. We know it needs to be dealt with, and yet we decide we want to hang on to it. Until we deal with the elephant within us, we'll never deal with the elephant that's around us, which is our culture. So what is the elephant within us? Well, it's what God's calling us to let go so he can have his way. It's what God's calling us to let go of so he can have his way. Notice verse 6 real quickly. Then said I, ah, Lord, behold, I cannot. I cannot. Can I help you find your elephant this morning? Let me help you find your elephant. We know what God's calling us to do and who God's calling us to be. We know that. The Holy Spirit's going to make that known to us. So you haven't preached on it yet. I don't have to preach on it. The Holy Spirit's going to make it known to you through his word. He's going to make it known to you through that still small voice. So you know what God wants you to be. You know what God's calling you to do. You know that. But for some reason, we have not. So what is the elephant? Well, let's, let's just have a little fill in the blank here. I cannot blank. He says, I cannot speak for I am a child. So I cannot for what? What is it that goes in that blank? Jeremiah says, I cannot do what you've called me to do for I am a child. You see, his way of thinking was getting in the way of God's desire for his life. This morning, it could be your way. This morning, it could be sin. I mean, just plain old, dirty, rotten sin that all of us have to deal with. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, verse 20, uh, chapter 28, verse 13, that he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. What does that mean? It means we can bury the elephant in the backyard, but the elephant is still there. It says, but he that confesseth it, that means dig it up, dig it up, and forsake it shall find mercy. Oh, wouldn't it be good to have some mercy today? You've got to take care of the elephant. You cover the elephant, you're not going to prosper. The Bible goes on to tell us in the book of James that sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. We can't leave the elephant there. It's going to kill somebody. Year in, year out in India, Ramu tramples people and, and families and children all because they just won't deal with the old elephant. I want to give you one real quickly. The last thing I'll give you under this one. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. God wants us to confront the culture that's around us. But first, we have to confront the culture that's within us. God's got to change our mind before we can change anybody else's. Ephesians chapter 4, I want to show you a few elephants that you may need to leave here today. Ephesians chapter 4, look down to verse number 30. The Bible says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Watch verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I want to tell you, it's amazing me how often in my life the elephant is not some wicked sin that we might think of like drinking or alcohol, but it's the wicked sins of bitterness. That's the elephant. Can't go God's way until you get rid of the elephant of your way, which is holding on to bitterness or wrath. Maybe it's anger this morning. Is there some bitterness? Somebody have done you wrong. Somebody broke your heart. Somebody sinned against you. Look, as long as you hold on to that bitterness, you're holding on to the elephant in the room. And you're not going to be able to move forward God's way until you get your way right. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, it's rampant in Christianity today. Evil speaking. With the rise of social media, we can talk about people we don't even know. The Bible says, let it be put away from you. What is it saying? It's saying, get rid of the elephants. 
Bitterness, anger, it goes on to say forgiving one another. You got some unforgiveness in your life. That's an elephant in the room. And it's going to trample your family. It's going to trample your children. It's going to trample your walk with God. And you'll never be able to go out and help that world until you deal with your world. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go and I want you to cry out against that world. Okay, that's fun. But first you're going to have to deal with something on the inside of you. What is, what is on the other side of your I cannot? We see in the life of Achan, when Achan disobeyed God, Achan went and hid the sin underneath his tent. He brought sin home. See, be careful, thinking you'll get away with sin because you're bringing it home. And he tried to hide it and watch. When God's army tried to go out and fight Ai, they were defeated. Now watch close. They were defeated on the outside because they were already defeated on the inside. They, they could not stand up on the outside. They could not go and do what they were called to do. Why? Because there was an elephant underneath Achan's camp. They says, go dig up the elephant. They brought it forth. By the way, it cost him his whole family. But finally, they got the power of God back on them, and they would go on to do great things for God, but they had to deal with the elephants. I believe that America, I believe our homes, and I believe just the simple Christian life this morning has come to Jeremiah chapter 1. We've come to a place where God's calling the church to rise up and to confront the culture. Not because we hate them, not because we're intolerant of them, but because we love them. If they keep going their way, it's going to end in death or God's a liar. So we've got to confront them. We've got to have the courage and love, listen, to go to them and say, that way is not going to lead you to God's way. But before we do that, we may have to deal with the culture that's within us. Before I finish, I want you to look at verse 8, and I'm done, I promise. Verse 8, be not afraid. Aren't you glad we got a God that tells us to be not afraid? Boy, looking at confronting the culture that's around us, that's scary. Looking at confronting the culture that's within us, that's scary. God, I don't know if I can do that. God says, be not afraid. Whatever you have to confront this morning, whatever your elephant is, he says, be not afraid. For I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. There's a beautiful picture in verse number eight of what happens when you get rid of the elephant. He trades your fear for deliverance. He says, be not afraid. I know it's scary looking out there at the world and thinking, you've got to go and try to hold back a tidal wave of sin. Be not afraid. God says, trade in your fear, and I will give you, look at the end of verse number eight, I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Now, let me ask you this. Do you want deliverance? Do you want deliverance? Do you want your home to have deliverance? Listen, you want our children to have deliverance, our church to have deliverance. We want our country to have deliverance. Hey, we can trade in all the fear we have this morning and have deliverance if we'll just deal with the elephants. How are you doing this morning with the elephants that are around us? There's got to come a time. Listen, by the way, dads, buddy, we're missing some dads in America. You're the guardian of the gate. You sit up on the wall, you're supposed to blow the trumpet. And when you see the culture coming, you confront it for the sake of our children and our wives. Listen, where are the dads? Where are the dads? We've got to have some dads. Listen, we've got to have some homes. Listen, why not some young people? This was a kid. This was a kid. This kid was willing to stand up and to confront the culture rather than conform to it for the sake of the culture. This morning, I believe God's calling us to deal with some elephants of around us, and that's the culture. We've got to stop the inroads of the culture into the Christian home and the Christian life, or there's no hope for this country. God says, I'm raising up a Jeremiah. Here he is. I want you to go, and I want you to confront the culture that's around us. Before he could do that, he had to confront the culture that was within himself. He says, God, I can't. God, you don't understand. He said, how hard it's going to be. He says, fear not. If we would trust God this morning, God would help us to dig up those elephants, to leave them behind, and find mercy, and find the power of God on our homes, our lives, and our churches again. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads 